Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings. Today's readings are John chapters 9 through 10. Rabbit trails. And now for an episode of Why Did He Do That? At the very beginning of John 9, we see Messiah heal a man who was blind from birth. Recall that this is considered by the Pharisees to be a Messianic miracle, which is a miracle only the Messiah could perform. Now, Messiah could have healed the man any way he chose. He could have simply spoken him into healing or even waved his hand and had it be so. But we see this very specific thing of him mixing his own spit in with mud and applying it to this man's eyes. Why is that? Well, first of all, notice that he's healing on the Sabbath again. Now, Messiah had been taking a lot of heat by doing this already, and so he's pretty much making a point that he's empowered by the Father to do so. He's also explained why this does not break the Sabbath time and again. Now, notice that the Pharisees are still around him, so obviously the investigations are still going on. Although, we saw from yesterday's readings that some have already come to the conclusion that, according to his deeds, he must be the Messiah. So he's at two strikes in the Pharisees' eyes so far right now. He's healing on the Sabbath and performing a Messianic miracle. Get ready for him to hit strike three. Only, he's actually making a home run rather than striking out. Recall, though, that there are man-made laws and doctrines that are being held as more important than the law of Yahweh. Now, Messiah sometimes refers to these as traditions of men. Are traditions bad things? Well, it depends on the tradition. If it's held up as superseding the very word of Yahweh, or if it goes against His commandments and is still deemed okay in the eyes of believers then clearly that is not okay in Yahweh's eyes. Obviously, any such doctrine that is treated as greater than Yahweh's commandments is going to be pretty out there. And here's proof and explanation of why our Messiah did what he did. Okay, so here's the crazy thing. There is actually a Talmudic law that states, to heal a blind man on the Sabbath, it is prohibited to inject wine in his eyes. It is also prohibited to make mud with spittle and smear it on the eyes. So, of course, that is exactly what Messiah did. Breaking barriers and busting through expectations, that's our Messiah. Now, side note in their defense, I'm not just picking on our Jewish brethren here. We Christians have lots of doctrines and traditions that we often treat as greater than or above the commandments of Yahweh too. It's a familial affliction that has been repeated for generations, and there's nothing new under the sun. But that does not mean we as individuals cannot follow in the footsteps of the prodigal son in return. They were likely as oblivious to their errors as we are. When you're deeply steeped in tradition and following it just as your forefathers did, it can become so ingrained that we never think to question it. And we can clearly read the word speaking against it while never realizing that it's speaking against what we're doing personally. Another reason why, in order to spiritually mature, we must learn to use the word as a yardstick, with which we must always measure ourselves by first and foremost. Now, I'd like to backtrack a bit and talk about another part of this same section. 
In John 9, verses 3 through 5, we read, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The disciples automatically saw this blindness as a punishment, but Messiah tells us it was given to him so that the works of Yahweh would be displayed in him. So many of us have trials, impediments, limitations, as well as gifts, triumphs, and skills for this very same reason, so that the works of Yahweh will be displayed through us. Next time you find yourself pleading with Yahweh to change a situation, ask Him to use you to bring glory to Him in that situation as well. The Bible is such a personal book. Letters and wisdom directly from our Father intended for us. Sometimes I read a story and I can't help but get completely caught up in it, swept away with imagining what that moment must have felt like. Now, the, po- the following passage is one of those moments. John 9, verses 35 through 38 reads, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Lord, I believe. Moving on, John 10, 1-2 reads, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, here we see Messiah condemning the religious leaders. They are positioned as leaders, but he's pointing out that if a man gets into a leadership position of a group of Yahweh's followers, any way other than to be appointed by Yahweh to go through the door, he is a thief and a robber, an illegitimate leader. The one who enters through the door is the true shepherd. Messiah clearly states that he is now the door which those shepherds must go through. In John 10, 7-8, we read, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they'll listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this is the reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
Moving on, John 10, 16 is especially moving for me to read as a Gentile by birth. Messiah has told us repeatedly that he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But now he tells us that he has other sheep not of this fold. They, too, will be joined with Israel, and the two will become one flock with one shepherd. Glory to the Father! Grace upon grace! Scriptures have told us of this from the very beginning. We've spoken of it time and again, and we'll continue to see this concept repeatedly taught through the end of the Bible as this great restoration plays out in our world today. In John 10, verses 22 through 23, this shows us Messiah honoring a feast which was created by man, but with roots in honoring the Father. Now, this is key. Remember when I said that not all traditions are bad? In our home, we've learned to avoid the traditions that seek to replace those that our Father put into place, those that go the way of Jeroboam by setting themselves up as counterfeits of the original. We are also careful to avoid traditions that syncretize Yahweh's ways with those of other faiths, after we read how the Father feels about this practice. Now, but this feast was instead to celebrate a great military victory in which Yahweh used very few men to defeat Antiochus Epiphanes after a horrifying reign of terror, where Antiochus desecrated the temple, tortured and murdered countless Jews, and committed such horrors that I can't even talk about it here. This battle and victory is detailed in the book of Maccabees, in the books of Maccabees, which used to be included in our Bibles and are still included in the Bibles of some sects of Christianity. So what's happening here? Well, we see Messiah going to the temple on the Feast of Dedication. Wow. We talked about this briefly in number seven when we saw the 12 tribes of Israel making their offering of dedication as the tabernacle was completed. A dedication offering in Hebrew is called a Hanukkah. Check out number 710 in interlinear to see that for yourself, and I have a link here for that. Now, up until I read the whole Bible, I always thought Hanukkah was strictly Jewish. Now, I see it more as (laughs) Yeshuish. Note, this is not a commanded feast. It is a man-made feast, but one that is rooted in honoring the Father, and one that the Father made it a point to let us know that Messiah took part in. I'm going to leave the rest of the rabbit trails to you today. I look forward to your comments. Test everything. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.